Christians believe a Jewish peasant in the first century Middle East named Jesus was crucified by the Roman Empire, rose from the dead, and is actually God, the creator of the universe, who came to restore humanity's perfect relationship with himself. That's actually pretty crazy if you think about it. Like, honestly, that can be really hard to believe. But if it's true, that means there's hope for a new beginning, no matter who we are, where we are, where we've come from, or what we've done. So does this absurd claim have any truth to it? And if so, what does that mean for us, like right now? These questions can only be answered if we take time to immerse ourselves in the story of Jesus. So let's talk about it together. Around 60 AD, a man named Mark attempted to explain how all of this stuff about Jesus could possibly be true. So he wrote an account of Jesus' life that has come to be called the book or even the gospel of Mark. He wrote it because the story of Jesus is often difficult to believe. In his account, he attempted to explain how someone who was crucified by Rome and had never actually physically conquered the Romans and never started a political kingdom could actually be the king of all creation. Now Mark, also known as John Mark, was in the inner circle of the first Jesus followers. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul, and later he was a companion and follower of the Apostle Peter. And because of the many eyewitness details in his account, it's believed that what he wrote was taken directly from Peter's teachings and memories about Jesus, mostly, most likely, while Peter and many other eyewitnesses were still alive. And from what we've read about Peter in the, in the other accounts, he was a man of action and passion. And we can see his influence in this account. It's, it's fast-paced. It's really action-oriented. But that's really easy to miss because of how we tend to approach things in the Bible and all holy and whatever, right? See, Mark's account wasn't really written to simply be read by ourselves in, in little chunks and pieces of all random and in a quiet room for personal reflection with a cup of coffee. No, Mark's account was meant to be read aloud in one sitting in a community of people who had never really personally seen Jesus and are wrestling with who Jesus is and, and what it means to follow him every day. And as we read his story, we're invited into the same questions the first readers of the story wrestled with. And so the questions we all have to wrestle with are, who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him? And here's how Mark introduces this story. This is the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news, the word there is where we get the word gospel. It's from the Greek word euangelion, you meaning good, and angelion meaning announcement. The Hebrew word is basar, meaning like it's like this national royal news. Like think of a herald spreading the news of a new king coming to the throne. And he's saying, this is the good news. This is the royal new announcement. So what is this good royal announcement? Something new is happening. There is a new king, the Messiah. God's promised anointed one has come. The, the son of God has come. The one who came from God, who shares his essence, his power, his authority is here. And son of God was also a tighter title that Caesar claimed for himself. And so there's some interesting political stuff there. It's also a title that at that time had come to be used to describe God's coming Messiah. See, ancient Israel's prophets had said that someday God would rescue his people and bring his heavenly kingdom to earth again, undoing the effects of sin and, and restoring creation to its original perfect design. 
See, according to the biblical writings, all the pain and the hurt and the hate and the injustice and the oppression that we experience in life is the result of our separation from our Heavenly Father. And it's only exasperated by our attempts to fix what is broken on our own, both as like societies, the big things, and even as individuals. And the biblical writings call that separation, our, our attempts to fix things on our own, sin, that fun religious word, sin, right? Well, sin separates and sin kills. It kills us spiritually and relationally and sometimes even physically. But we're separated from God, not because God's mad at us, but because we don't trust God. We don't trust that he is good and that he loves us. And we choose to trust ourselves and choose to forge our own path, which ultimately leads to a spiral of hurt and pain that we just can't get ourselves out of. And so through Israel's prophets, God promised to fix this whole human mess, to save his people and offer a way to begin again. He said he would bring his kingdom to earth and give a new beginning for all of humanity. God promised a new beginning for all of humanity. And over time, after these promises were, were written down and, and given, many people envisioned a man anointed by God, the Messiah, who would set up a Jewish kingdom, conquer all of Israel's enemies through battle, and restore the proper worship of God in the way their great prophet Moses had first directed them. And so, in this, like this first opening line, Mark is setting the main theme of his account. And he's actually presenting... The, the message and the belief of the very first Jesus followers. That Jesus is the Messiah who offers us a new beginning in God's kingdom now, but it doesn't look like anyone expected it to. And now this really is the only time in this entire account that Mark tells us what he thinks about Jesus' identity. The rest of the book gives us what we need to decide for ourselves. But before he really jumps into the full story, he gives us kind of like a, a behind-the-scenes look at what this story really means. It began just as the prophet Isaiah had written. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. This messenger was John the Baptist. He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. See, God had promised that before his new kingdom came, he would send someone to prepare the way. And Mark says, like, right off the bat, that promised someone is John the Baptist, the fulfillment of God's promises. But here's the interesting thing. Who are those, as we read, who are the prophecies saying that the way would be prepared for? Not some mere human Messiah, right? It says, prepare the way for the Lord. These prophecies talked about a day when God himself would come and restore his creation and heal his people. And so Mark's explaining that the story he's about to tell is really so much bigger than what people were expecting. And it all started in the wilderness with John the Baptist. When we say in the wilderness, we think of like this scary, dangerous place. And yes, it was. And we think of it like in a negative connotation. But really for the Jews, the wilderness historically was a place of hope and new beginnings. See, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, which we call the Exodus, it was in the wilderness that their God, Yahweh, met them and officially declared them his chosen people. And now Mark is saying that a new Exodus, a new being led out, is beginning. 
God is creating a new people for himself by leading people out of their sin and their separation from him. And this new beginning is happening in the same way in the wilderness. Because the story of Jesus is the story of humanity's new beginning. And so John the Baptist is calling the people of Israel to repent. Like, you know, not just feel bad, and we hate that word repent, but it's not just feeling bad about what we did, but to actually change their direction, to turn their allegiance from their selves, their wants and their desires, which leads to fear, and give their allegiance to God to receive his forgiveness, to be ready for the new thing that is coming. And to symbolize this change, John the Baptist is baptizing these people. And the Jews had always practiced this regular ritual of washings and baths. But what John is doing is actually something new. This was more like a, um, a conversion ceremony when a Gentile would become a Jew and completely like baptized and that type of thing, showing that they had cleansed themselves, what these people are doing, they're showing that they've cleansed themselves from their self-rule and are now ready for the new that God is bringing. But what is this new thing that's coming? John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's saying someone is coming. This is the someone that we've all been waiting for. It's, it's all about to happen, just like Ezekiel said. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my, my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Again, it is God who said he would be the one to pour out the Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist is saying that the one who is coming is somehow the one sent from God, but also God bring the Holy Spirit of God to live in his people. Now, who is this mysterious someone? Well, in his story, I feel like Mark's built up the suspense enough, and now he finally tells us what this is all leading to. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus of Nazareth a real historical figure that almost every reputable historian recognizes as a real person who actually lived at this time. And Jesus comes to John and he's baptized. Like why he doesn't, if you know, if Mark's account is true, then why does Jesus need to be baptized? Like he's perfect God. Well, what he's doing is he's both identifying with Israel and representing Israel in this new beginning, in this new ex exodus. It's actually a rather deep idea that hopefully we'll be able to unpack as we go through the book of Mark. But basically it's this. Jesus is humanity's representative and the one who restores our true humanity. And so as he comes out of the water, it says the heavens are split apart. It's like this, this veil of what we call our real world is pulled back. And we're given a picture of what reality really is. That there's a truer realm behind what we can actually observe. And it says the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. It's very reminiscent of the uh, creation account in Genesis where the, the Holy Spirit is fluttering above the waters of the earth before it's like made into its form and stuff. And then God's voice declares that Jesus is his loved son, his loved Messiah. And notice how the Trinity is, it never says Trinity, but we see God the Father, we see Jesus the Son, and we see the Holy Spirit all there together at one, kind of saying, now is the time we are ready to save humanity. 
And so Jesus is anointed for his role as the one who will both embody and rescue Israel and the rest of humanity. And all of this in Mark, we, we, we got to dig in, but all this is presented as carrying on and, and fulfilling the story of God, as the prophet Isaiah had said. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Look at my ser- servant who I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice to the nations. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And then keeping with the idea of this new exodus, the Holy Spirit compels Jesus, the representative of Israel, to go into the wilderness to be tested. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and the angels took care of him. Yes, I know, Satan and angels. We'll talk about that stuff in a later episode. But for now, when Israel was first sent to the wilderness during the first exodus, they actually had failed to trust God. And so they had to wander around the wilderness for 40 years until a new generation came that was ready to trust God and move into the land he had promised them. And now Jesus representing Israel as their Messiah, goes into the wilderness, and this time, as Israel, right, the representative, passes the test. See, where Israel failed, Jesus triumphed. And where we sin and ruin everything, Jesus heals and restores everything. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee, where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. See, as the one who had prepared the way fades from the story, the scene is set for the main character to begin his story. And at that point, Mark lays out Jesus's main message. Believe the good news. The way he started his, his, his introduction is how he ends it. Believe the good news, the euangelion, the good royal announcement that the new king is here. Jesus says, I am bringing God's kingdom to earth now. So what's the, what's the kingdom of God, right? That's a good question. Is it like heaven? Is it this, a new godly society or a new state of mind? Or maybe it's people just being really good? Well, honestly, it's not really even a thing. It's, it's more of an action. It's the action of God being unleashed in the world. The best way to describe it really is the kingdom of God is like the revolution of God. See, Jesus is saying that the old kingdom that has ruled most of human history and even rules many of our lives today is ending. It's a kingdom of self-rule, right? Where we look out for ourselves because who else will? It's a, it's a kingdom where might and wealth makes right. It's a kingdom where we try to get as much for ourselves as possible and remove any obstacle or people that get in the way of us getting what we want. It's a kingdom that ultimately leads to emptiness and purposelessness, loneliness, and ultimately death. And the interesting thing is we are simultaneously simultaneously part of the problem of this kingdom, yet we're also trapped like slaves or prisoners in this old kingdom. And though we all long for something new to come, we don't know how to find it. But Jesus claimed to be launching God's new revolution against this old kingdom. He is the new king who is here to bring a new kingdom, a kingdom based on love, not fear, a kingdom led by a servant king, not a power-hungry tyrant, A king who doesn't conquer by killing, but by dying. 
who doesn't, who doesn't take from his people, but gives them true life. And a new king, a new kingdom means a new way of life. And so Jesus in his, in his first announcement says, repent, meaning change allegiances. This is what repentance is. Repentance is a complete revolution of how we see God, ourselves, our lives, and our world. Where we see everything, not through the lens of what do I want and, and what can I get for me, but through the lens of what does our Heavenly Father want? What does He value? How did He create us to truly operate as full, healthy humans? It's basically choosing to change from self-rule to God's kingship of our lives. Because you know what? We all long for some kind of new beginning. Every culture, every people group has tried to find their path to whatever this new is, whether it's like a religion or building an empire or technology or science or education or politics or laws or justice or even like the economic philosophies of capitalism, socialism or, or communism. And we personally keep trying to find the right new for our individual lives, so whether it's a, a new career or new opportunities or a new city or a new family or even a, a new spouse or a new house, car or boat, a new mindset, new lifestyle, even a new cat. Like, that might be why you're watching this right now, hoping that somehow it's like some religion or church will help you find that new. And if we could just find the right new, everything would finally be good. Well, from the beginning, Christianity's claim has been the new we are all, we are all looking for is found not in something, but in someone, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, God in a body, the true king of the universe who came to rescue us from what we can't rescue ourselves from. He freed us from the power of sin and death by dying on the cross as the representative of all of broken humanity, putting our sin and our separation from God to death and rising again, destroying the power of sin and death and giving us new life in him now and forever. And we can take our lives and all the, all the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the anger and the selfishness that keeps us from God and we can, you know, we can try to turn our lives around. We can even try to turn over a new leaf. But that separation is still there. What we need, what everyone needs, is a true new start that wipes clean all of that darkness. And Jesus claimed to be the one who can do that. He didn't offer a way to do it. He didn't offer a technique or a philosophy of how to do it. He offered himself as the new beginning that humanity needs and through him, we can all experience God personally telling us, you are my dearly loved child and you bring me great joy. And it begins, as Jesus said, with repenting and believing the good news. The king has come. I mean, that's a very weighty, huge claim. One that is often hard to believe. It always has been hard to believe. And so Mark leaves us in that first opening spot, has us wondering, he leaves us wondering, is this true? Will Jesus really prove to be who he will be presented as? And for the rest of the book, we will see what Jesus said and what he did. And we'll be invited to wrestle with his claims and decide if we believe him or not. And we'll be, we'll be invited to discover what this new beginning in the kingdom of God really looks like in our lives now. So as we begin this journey, whether you're exploring what the Jesus story is all about for the first time, or whether you've been a Jesus follower, follower for years, I think we all need to consciously and seriously attempt to answer the questions for ourselves in our own words. Who is Jesus 
What does it look like to actually follow him today? See, if the story of Jesus even might be true, I think we owe it to ourselves to wrestle with these questions. And so here's, if you want some homework, here's your homework. Try to formulate a one-sentence answer to each of these questions. Who is Jesus and what does it look like to follow him today? And then save those answers. Put it on your phone and save it. And then as we go through this account of Mark, compare it to what, what maybe you, you formulate and what you come up with as we take this journey together through Mark's account of Jesus' life. And maybe if you want to go even extra and dig even deeper, as we go through each passage, take those passages that we talk about this each week and read along with us. And then meditate weekly on that, read it once a day, and meditate weekly on that passage and ask yourself, what stands out? Allow yourself to kind of dig into the story of Jesus. Why? Because we need a new beginning. You need a new beginning. I need a new beginning. Our world needs a new beginning. And we are invited to a new life, a new start of living as a forgiven, free, loved, and enjoyed child of God. And we find the way to this life in the story of Jesus. Because the story of Jesus isn't just Jesus' story. It can be our story as well. We are all invited into the story of Jesus. So, come back. Watch the next episode and discover what, what that can really, really look like for your life now and tomorrow. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there will be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. We also have uh, stuff for kids this summer, some great lessons put out by the Bible Project. So we're really excited about some of the things that are happening over at Cross Creek, and we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form, say hello, uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you, and we'll see you next week.